Hey folks, uh, just McElroy here. Listen, just want to warn you ahead of time, while uh, this week's show will still be free profanity as you've come to uh, uh, expect from us, we do get into some uh, uh, adult topics. So uh, if you're listening with the kids, you might want to make sure that they're comfortable with that, I guess. I don't know <laughs> what your relationship is like with your kids. I'd have that whole birds and the bees talk with them before listening to this episode if I were you. You go ahead and knock that out. Thanks. Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Okay. Well, um, I'm Sydney McElroy. Um, What's that thing you're doing there, honey? Well, you told me that uh, tonight's show was for the ladies. So, Uh, of course, I'm trying to accommodate them. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I get it. A show Uh, for the ladies. I see what you're going for now. Um, I may have misled you. Yeah, baby. Tell it to me nice and slow. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that the ladies are going to enjoy. Oh, this <laughs> history show. has proven that to be incorrect. The ladies will most certainly enjoy. Um, I'm gonna have to ask you to be really careful uh, in this in this particular episode that you that you tr- that you don't offend all the women who listen to our show. Oh, baby, that seems unlikely. What are we talking about? Okay, I think you're already offending them. Oh yeah. Uh, but we're sugar and spice. That's me. You never mm-hmm. know what you're gonna get. Sugar and okay. Spice. See, it's just getting worse. It's just getting worse. Uh, the topic uh, I hoped we could discuss was actually suggested to us by our our very soon to be uh, sister in law, Rachel. Hey, Rachel. She suggested we talk about hysteria. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if my sensual voice was the right call for this topic. This is, of course, for the ladies, so I guess in that regard, I was 100% correct. It is for the, well, could we say women? It's for women. It's for the women. Oh, that was worse. Don't ever say women like that again. Just don't say women Deal. anymore. Just, yeah. <laughs> so what? why? What, what are we talking about that could be so so offensive? So the concept of hysteria is one that uh, you may not be familiar with now, Justin, because it doesn't exist anymore. 
No, that's not true. I've heard hysteria. I've heard people mention hysteria before. Well, the word certainly exists, but the idea of it as a as a malady of women is um, outdated. It's no longer accepted. So it was a malady? It was like a sickness? Yeah. So hysteria, the, the condition hysteria, the illness, dates back, honestly, to like 1900 B.C. They found Egyptian papyruses, papyri, papyri? Papers. Papers that documented a condition where women were, um, uh, they weren't behaving themselves and they were very upset and they were kind of nervous and um, they documented a nervous condition at that time that they identified as hysteria. Of course, they didn't call it that because it's actually a Greek word. What did they call it, do you know? No, I mean, I, it wasn't really a term. It they was just, just had pictures. They would have higher. Yeah, of like really women who were really freaked out. <laughs> just going just going nuts. And and it was already, the, the, the reason that they identified it as the condition that the Greeks later called hysteria is that um, they indicated that a woman's uh, uterus or womb, as you may colloquially refer to it, was uh, moving around inside their body. Right. That's That's bound to happen. No. 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 And that's actually where the term hysteria comes from. It's hysteria or wandering womb from the Greek hystera for uterus. So as your uterus migrates around inside your body, it causes you distress. Now, Sydney, what causes the uh, what causes the womb to start migrating? Is it just get that wanderlust, get to hear the call of the open road and want to see what's going on with the kidneys or or why does the womb start trucking well in all honesty justin it doesn't okay so that's the first thing you need to know (laughs) um but uh this idea had persisted and plato actually had a theory so in fourth and fifth century greece uh hippocrates upheld this belief plato wrote about it in timaeus um and he likened the uterus to a living creature that wandered around the body Largely in response to smells. Okay, so it's like a bloodhound that you store your babies in. He actually referred to the uterus as an animal within an animal. Cool on several levels, Plato. You did it. Not so much. I can't imagine he was popular with the ladies with that kind of. But um, in that, but in that, in those days, the society was even more patriarchal than we have now. So maybe they just assumed, well, his name. He's named after Plato. He probably knows what's going on. Do you mean <laughs> named after Plato, the Plato stuff? Right. He was like named the, in its honor. That's like the the dough toy. I may have taken my persona as the guy <laughs> who doesn't know about the thing we're talking about. I may have uh, I may have overstepped. I'm going to walk. You overshot with that one. Overshot. Uh huh. You know about my... something, presumably. There are things. <laughs> There are things you know about. I'm not. I'm not Mork from Orc. I'm not just like <laughs> learning about this stuff. <laughs> oh, how I time. wish you were. Oh. Ew. Oh, You're that listening, was weird. Jesus. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, actually, Plato believed that uh, the uterus moved in response to smells, so that um, in good smells it would move towards them, and with uh, bad smells it would move away, which was actually a way that you could, you know, move the uterus back to its. Um, you know expected position just put some bacon on the tongue well if you think it's if you (laughs) think sure if you actually if you think it's too high just put something that smells good down you know what smells good to a womb i I mean i think that pretty much what they believe smelled good to women so floral smells shoe stores (laughs) 
Okay, see? Cross the line. Was that good? Cross the line. See, I'm really worried about doing episodes about women stuff because I love, I mean, I'm a very, you know, I'm very progressive um, and I'm very, uh, I like to think I'm very aware of my privilege. I like to think um, I, I just, sometimes I'm trying to say stuff that's funny and I just say stuff that's not r- the right thing to say. I know. You're trying, though. You promise to tell me if I'm, like, offensive. I'm right? going to... I Believe me, I will tell you. Okay. <laughs> so, the uterus moves towards... You know what You know what would be a good thing for you to say, Justin? Tell me. You know what smells best to a woman? What? Equality. <laughs> <laughs> Try that on for size. I will. You man. I'm going to stand to that truth. So, uh, by second century Rome, this idea was still uh, widely held. And, and Galen... Uh, who wrote a lot of medical opinions at the time, said that um, he believed that the problem was that women basically weren't uh, freeing themselves of their, I'm going to have to just go ahead and say what he called it, of their female semen enough. Uh, okay. So during, can they believe. Can I brief aside? Galen sounds familiar to me. Where have we talked about Galen before? Uh, we talked about him in the, I think, in the bloodletting episode. Oh, he had a, yeah. He, had he was some... an early physician in Rome, and, and he wrote many opinions on many things. Many of our ideas uh, where different medical concepts come from originate there. Some yeah. wrong, some right. Galen, gotcha. This one wrong. <laughs> uh, nice try, Galen. So <laughs> so this is also why at the time it, hysteria began to be known as the wom- the widow's disease. Uh, because the idea is that um, basically intercourse could relieve uh, hysteria. Good job, man. And so if you a woman was dummies. no <laughs> was no longer married and wasn't uh, regularly engaging in sexual activity, then she would become hysterical. And so if she didn't have a husband or a male partner, but it would have been a husband at the time, y- as a physician, you could always kind of do her a favor. In the name of science and the Hippocratic Oath. Gross. Yeah. Gross caveman doctors. We'll call it. grossed out (laughs) We'll call it what they called it. Pelvic massage. Shut up. Yes. Pelvic massage. So physicians at the time. Now this idea we'll talk about in a little bit really didn't take hold until much later. But this is where it first came from, that that is how you could relieve a woman's hysteria is by causing a hysterical paroxysm. Go on. A.K.A. orgasm. Got it. So they knew about it even then. Well, they didn't equate the two at the time. One of our many misconceptions that we've cured up over the millennia that the female orgasm exists. We've we've dispelled (laughs) that one. I've personally dispelled it many Many, many times. Many, 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 many times. Many times. <sighs> so the the prevalent idea at the time was basically that uh, if a woman wasn't having sex with men, uh, her uterus was sad. Aww. And she would become hysterical. Um, it, there were there were conflicting opinions at the time. Uh, Soranus or Soranus, Soranus who is known as kind of the father of obstetrics and gynecology, actually, um, he had an opposite approach. He advocated that you don't have sex and instead just, you know, get a massage, take a bath, hit the gym. Just treat yourself, right? Treat yourself. Treat yourself. That's right. Eat some chocolate. (laughs) 
I don't know. All of these are horribly sexist views of women, but that was kind of the only way when people viewed women at the time. Right. So, um, although considering that our last suggestion was to let your doctor have sex with you, I think the hot bath probably oh, sounded pretty good. Now, now, <laughs> that's a fair that's a fair point, Justin. But let me clarify: it, your physician was not supposed to have sex with you. This was a medical procedure. So just like uh, my our, our female listeners today will be familiar with when you go to get a pelvic exam and it's very sterile. You're covered in a sheet and you put your legs in stirrups and the doctor's, you know, doing what they do down between your legs. Uh, this is the same kind of situation. It was all manual. Uh, That's what we're talking about. Okay. So just to be clear. Okay. Still wrong, still gross, but... Not quite the same. So she did it herself? No, he did it. Just used his hands. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Now. Sorry. And also, sorry. It's basically all women all the time. That's just a, all the time. You should just keep saying that throughout this episode. I, I plan on it, actually. <laughs> um, now. Um, from what I have read of medicine, you know, in our in our brief uh, journey with this show so far, the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages were pretty much a time when everything was gross. Always. Okay. And then your scientific. That's my opinion, <laughs> because at the time it seemed like everybody, everything just smelled bad. And so that was pretty much what everybody thought the problem with everything was. And so the solution was always to make something smell better by inserting like a suppository with something that was some potpourri in it somewhere or, you know, use a salve there. And that was usually what doctors suggested at the time. Oh, here's a tincture. Just, you know, rub it down, rub it down below and things will smell better and then you'll feel great. Now, it's important, I think, to like, we're we're going so far down this treatment treatment path. Like, it's important to remember, I guess, that this is made up, right? Absolutely. I uh, Yes, like if I haven't. Like, first off, it's manifestations for whatever they think hysteria was so okay hysteria first of all it could have been anything that a woman exhibited that was considered you know improper behavior but specifically um nervousness uh faintness insomnia um if you were having muscle spasm shortness of breath if you were irritable if you didn't want to have sex or if you did want to have a lot of sex um if you lost your appetite or you wanted to eat a lot more or just the general statement, a tendency to cause trouble. God. All of those were symptoms of hysteria. So it's basically a, a sort of catch-all for you're not acting the way you're supposed to act. Exactly. It probably originated from uh, women who were not interested in having sex with men. And that idea would have been considered preposterous. Do you think that um, you mentioned the widow's you know treating calling it the widow's disease do you think that um some of it may be connected considering the age of most women in that category you think some of it could have been connected to menopause because obviously you know we didn't understand that whatsoever oh certainly i think i think it's what we would consider like a bucket diagnosis um it doesn't really mean anything it's just where you put a bunch of symptoms that don't that aren't already otherwise assigned if you don't know what's going on call it hysteria and you know, 
it's the first probably the first documented nervous disorder among women so it was the first time a psychiatric disorder was diagnosed in women and they pretty much said well women aren't that interesting they aren't that complicated they were considered inferior to men so they probably only have one psychiatric problem we'll just name it the same thing I mean, that was really the, pre- the pre- prevalent idea. Um, if you, you know, in the Middle Ages, we have, you know, weird salves and suppositories, but there were also women who were exercised for this. It was blamed on demonic possession. If you didn't know what was causing it, well, and if your treatments didn't work, well, then it was probably the devil. Uh, so we, we tried suppositories, uh, salves and stuff in the Middle Ages. What, what do we try next? So by the 1600s, um, Nathaniel Highmore, an English surgeon, put together that this was probably an orgasm, this uh, hysterical paroxysm that we thought was still the, the prevailing idea, the cure for hysteria was probably just an orgasm. That was when we finally put that together. Uh, and because I can see the sheet in front of you, I don't want to spoil the punchline, but why don't you go ahead? He also said that knowing this is essentially useless because achieving a female orgasm is pretty much impossible. And he likened it to trying to rub your tummy and pat your head at the same time. Hey, listen, Nathaniel, (laughs) my brother, my five centuries removed brother. I'm there with you, man. So I I thought, you know, I I like that concept that, well, we know what's causing it. We know what to do about it, but you might as well try to catch a unicorn. (laughs) Who can do that? Yeah. The cure might might as well be leprechaun gold. We we have we have no ability to achieve this. Our our buddy, um, Thomas Sydenham, I believe you may remember him from our opiate, our opium episode. Indeed, I do. Um, He ranked it the second most common disease. He got in on it, too. Yeah. Course. And said that pretty much at some point in their lives, all women are going to get it, which just underlines the the fact that this was just it was a bucket diagnosis. It was sure if a woman um, got PMS, she was probably labeled hysterical if she was uh, upset about something normal or if maybe she just didn't want to do what her husband said or maybe if she wanted to have sex or didn't want to have sex. All of those things. And sure, maybe things that were actual disorders like menopause or not disorders, but you know what I mean, causing actual symptoms like menopause or a disorder like anxiety. Mm-hmm. Everything. All fell into that catch-all. The Salem witch trials probably related to hysteria. These women would probably at the time have been labeled hysterical. Now, again, this was hysteria caused by, you know, being a witch, (laughs) demonic possession. But again, this would be another example of women who were behaving badly, uh, according to the, you know, mores of the time, labeled hysterical. So this persisted until... Um, the 1800s, essentially. So uh, in 1859, they begin to tease out kind of the idea that there was hysteria, there was a, some kind of nervous disorder that was brought on by the pressures of modern society on our, on our poor, fragile female continences. <laughs> and it never, I mean... It never occurred to us that, like, maybe this is not a real thing. Like, we had so many different things that it could be connected to that it 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 it, it maybe is not a single issue. No, uh, it, it opposite. By 1859, um, Pierre Briquet thought that a quarter of women had hysteria, and there was a list of at least 75 symptoms of it, and that was an incomplete list, but it was the best he could do. So the more things we blamed 
on hysteria, the more likely we were to die. We just kept saying, well, it's just more common than we thought. It actually, it was, of course, first in Europe, it was diagnosed. And then in the young America, as more women were diagnosed with hysteria, it was a sign that the country was becoming more modern. <laughs> You're finally, your country is progressive enough to freak, freak women out. <laughs> we're quite cosmopolitan now. We have fully 20% of our women diagnosed with hysteria. We really feel like with uh, just a couple more tall buildings and some faster paced music, we could get that up to 24, 25% by the end of the century. <laughs> um, it, it really, at this point though, in the 1800s, that was really when the we kind of pinned the problem because nobody still, I mean, since it wasn't a real thing, you couldn't say what caused it. There was no, you know, there was no evidence as to where it came from. So we really began to pin it on this idea that women were not having enough hysterical paroxysms. And uh, the number one uh, symptom they began citing of hysteria was erotic fantasy and excessive vaginal lubrication. <laughs> I'm sorry, women. I don't mean to laugh. It comes from a place of sadness. I assure you, we're just despicable. And I, I mean, I, I can't do anything for you now. Um, and I'm, I am sorry. Again, as Sydney predicted, I am apologizing to you once again. I am the only male representative on the program, so I feel like I'm taking a due amount of heat. But I am just totally, just wicked sorry. So super, super sorry again. It's, it's actually, we're making jokes about it, but it's it's a really interesting topic if you do some reading online. I looked at the, the National Medical Library at the National Institute of Health, and it had a free article that uh, was written kind of charting the progress of hysteria through the, I mean, centuries, and the way that it shaped the our view of women. And it's really fascinating how uh, this disease, I mean, you can't even call it that, but this concept, this false concept has shaped women's role throughout a lot of history, whether Most, it is the vast majority of history, right? Exactly. Whether it is as this uh, wild um, uh, temptress, uh, this, you know, this thing that is uh, this creature that is prone to leave lead men to sin or this fragile, nervous um, frail thing that we must protect or, you know, the way that women are, are accused of using sex as a weapon, um, uh, holding it over men's heads. All of this gets tied into this concept of hysteria, which was basically a man's way of saying, this woman isn't doing what I want her to do and I'm going to call her sick. Yeah, and I think it's actually a really instructive example of uh, society using, uh, a male-dominated society using the its structural powers, the the control it has over the system as a whole, rather than a one-on-one, -on -one, I control you. It's the system being built. I mean, it, it's it's a rigged game for women. Uh, while this, you know, any behavior that didn't wasn't in lockstep with how men saw their role at the time could be blamed on it. And the, even the women, um, I think it's interesting to kind of take a, a quick step back to the Middle Ages. Even the women of the time who were, there was a female physician, believe it or not, Trotula de Ruggiero. Even she wrote about hysteria as if it was an actual thing. And the best she could say is, well, it's probably not good to, you know, if, if sex is the cure, sex, you know, at the time was still viewed as, you know, kind of a sinful idea for women to just engage in for their own pleasure so she advised taking sedatives you know to to calm you down basically quell your sexual desires and you know take some mint and some musk oil and take a nap and 
and get over it. So even women who were writing about it at the time were in that were within that same context. You know, they they held the same biases that men had had placed on them. Well, and I would imagine uh, this is just extrapolation on my part and probably no small amount of wishful thinking. But I imagine there were probably some women who would take solace in the idea of a disorder that could explain it, any feelings that you yourself weren't crazy about or, or urges you yourself didn't like. I mean, we, we see that today with disorders and stuff that are, are not real. Uh, but people take a lot of comfort in, you know, some people take a lot of comfort in the idea that this illness is responsible for all of their, you, you know, any struggles they may ha- be having in life. So absolutely. No. And I, I, without naming anything so that we don't cause problems, there are certainly examples of this. I think that some physicians would point to within our um, medical lexicon today that are the same concept of a basket diagnosis or a bucket diagnosis that we don't know what it is what causes it and our symptoms and presentations can be varied but we're going to call it all the same thing because that's simpler mm-hmm. but i think what's really important justin that we haven't talked about yet is that starting in the 1850s we finally got serious about how to treat this awful malady thank god let's get those friggin' wombs in their place Exactly. So, well, now, and let me clarify. At this point, the idea that the womb was actually moving was pretty much done away with. Okay, so, so we, we still thought hysteria was real, but the the cause that we came up for for it, we didn't think was real anymore. No, we, we pretty much, actually, Soranus, if we go all the way back to, to Rome, um, Soranus was the first one to say, you know what, the uterus probably stays in pretty much the same place, except for when it's prolapsed much, much later in life. So that's probably not the problem. Um and the, the idea that this had to do with either sexual repression or sexual desire or something like that became much more prevalent. It was still not well understood. Um, but it is this theory that led to the first treatment, uh, the first um, kind of prescribed treatment in the 1800s, the pelvic douche. Similar to the idea of a douche that no one should use today, uh, except you just direct a stream of, of pressured water at the pelvis until you feel better. I mean, I'm going to say that sounds refreshing to <laughs> does, me. Does it, Justin? I guess. I don't know what it's like in there. I like I like the simplicity of that, but what I like even better is that in 1869, there was an American physician, George Taylor, who said, forget that noise. This is America now. We do things steam-powered. I'm going to build the first steam-powered vibrator. Thank you very much. All right. Yep. It was essentially a big table that you were strapped to that had a hole in it with a vibrating sphere that you stuck in the in the hole. And ladies loved it. Uh, well, I don't know if they loved it, but I'm sure they used it. You're welcome, women. See, men giveth a very small thing and they take away. Uh, taketh away a vastly larger amount. But now, hey, hey, we get you got that out of the deal, huh? You have to understand Couldn't though. Vote. The, these were these were medical devices. So as we go through this history, these were not to be used alone. A woman was not to you know take her giant steam powered vibrating table to the basement, strap herself to it, and have fun. Honey, <laughs> honey, was that you? I heard it on the stairs. It sounded like. Honey, it sounded like someone was pushing a big metal table down the stairs. Are you okay? I'll be up in a minute. All right, are you okay? You need any help? 
Just a, just a minute. Uh, I'll come help you. Leave me alone. Let me get some of the neighborhood men. We'll all come help you carry that metal ta- table downstairs. <laughs> now, this was done under the supervis- supervision of a physician, or at the very least, if you were going to have this in your home, under the supervision of your husband. Don't do this alone. And this this continued to apply when it, to apply to the 1880s version when Joseph Mortimer Granville invented the battery powered vibrator. It only weighed about 40 pounds. Perfect, convenient. Put it in your purse. And physicians were thrilled because you have to remember, up until this point, they were still actively uh, causing hysterical paroxysms for women. See, this late. Yeah, that's that's insane there there's actually a, a great movie about this i well i say it's great i read about it i haven't seen it yet called hysteria where they document a, a physician who um spent so much time catering to the needs of wealthy english women that he he got carpal tunnel and so out of desperation created the battery-powered vibrator kind of have to netflix that and physicians at the time did actually they were thrilled with this because they said that this this terrible task with which they you know their hippocratic oath forced them to perform for women that took hours now only took minutes i actually do believe that but you know there was one guy there was (laughs) one guy who they'd all call like oh just get weird dave he loves this (laughs) i don't know um freud of course jumped in on this topic you know why wouldn't he? This seems ripe for Freud in the 1890s, and uh, they, him, and and, and another um, physician, Joseph Brewer, kind of came up with the idea that you could talk women out of it, just bring up all their repressed memories and their sexual needs. And would that be close? I mean, that's closer. I mean, it, while obviously hysteria is still not a real thing, if you're using, uh, I mean, that's closer to her, at least some sort of actual. Uh, at least if they're talking through whatever was the perceived problem i think that's fair if there, i mean we have to assume there were women who had who weren't just not doing what their husband said but who actually had maybe conversion disorder uh that's one theory that maybe had anxiety you know who who uh some kind of therapy some kind of talk therapy would have been helpful for the treatment of that so it's certainly possible that this was closer for some women to a cure but you also have to understand that there were probably women who had epilepsy that were called hysteria as well well okay so all right <laughs> fine so what i'm saying in my great in my great male gender uh, apology tour of 2013 what i'm saying <laughs> is we may have accidentally helped a small percentage of the women exactly we may have accidentally helped someone okay um that's all it need by the late 1890s, uh, I think this is great. It was recognized that another, if you couldn't afford a battery-powered vibrator, uh, you could ride a horse, ride in a carriage, or vigorously use a rocking chair to alleviate your own symptoms. Or you could buy an electric saddle machine for your home, which essentially is like one of those toy horses that you can put a quarter in and kids can ride outside the grocery store. Only not shaped like a horse, I'm assuming. Just the saddle. Just the saddle. Mm-hmm. And women could keep those in their homes. And in the 1900s, it's all... Actually, it's actually central to the plot of Urban Cowboy. <laughs> I've never seen that. By the 1900s, all kinds of vibrator machines... Is that the name of that movie? ...existed. I, I don't even know. Yeah, a John Travolta movie where he's a... Is it? ...mechanical bull rider. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. But by the 1900s, there were all kinds of vibrators available. Um, it was actually the fifth home appliance to be electrified. So they made the sewing machine, the electric fan, the electric kettle, the toaster, and then the vibrator. Priorities. 
It beat out the vacuum and the iron by over a decade. <laughs> Jeez, oh Pete, really? Exactly. I know. And at the whole this whole time, people are still saying this is strictly for medical use. There is there, there is, is no nothing more, pleasurable about it. I mean, it. there is no better indicator, I think, of how small a role women played in medicine that like no one had delved any deeper into this question. Nope, this is, this is, and you can use these and your husband can watch you and help you. They actually advertise these machines for the whole family, not to be used in the same area, perhaps, but, you know, hold it on your face or, you know, your arms or your back, vibrate something. Vibrations were essential to a healthy life. We had that stupid machine with the belt that would help you lose weight. Yeah, that's that same kind of idea that those vibrations were good. And some of them were marketed as weight loss machines. I mean, they weren't. They weren't. No. None of this was real, but hey. None of it was real. And by the 1920s, uh, these machines started showing up in pornography and people started being honest about what they really were, which kind of shoved them underground for a while. And in the 50s, you know, they showed back up, but, um, you know, people were pretty uptight then. So um, it, it they kind of fell out of favor. And then finally in 1952, at long last, everybody wisened up and the American Psychological Association said, you know what? This is bunk. Hysteria is not a real People thing. People just like to masturbate. <laughs> just let it go, guys. We had a hey, listen. We had a good run. It's been four thousand years. Let's let's give it up. So the term hysteria was dropped uh, from the diagnostic catalog. There was no diagnosis made, and we realized that there were probably lots of other problems that we missed, or things that weren't problems at all that we just didn't like. Um, I thought this was interesting as I went on my tour of uh, sex toys throughout history that in Alabama, you still can't buy a sex toy for anything other than medical purposes, at least as of 2009. That's why you got to get to extremerstrains.com. <laughs> hey, the wrong show, wrong show. <laughs> no, you have to sign a waiver that says this is strictly for medical purposes oh, yeah. when you buy it. <laughs> so trust me, I just have hysteria. Wink, wink. wink. Hint, hint. Uh, if we hope you've had a hysterical laughter listening to this I think show. I think we're still allowed to use that word. That's the one thing I don't know from my research. Can I still say hysterical? I, I think it's lost some of the gender, the you know, the gender. Um, uh, I hope so. Know, and I, connotations. I should make this quick note, Justin. It there were men who were diagnosed with hysteria throughout history. Wow, really? Yeah, there were there were times where it was considered a uh, a thing that might infect men later after it was you know de- decided that it wasn't because the uterus was moving around. But this is largely a disease of women. I mean, largely that's that is the part of our society that it impacted us. Us. Uh, <laughs> you. Sorry. Whoa. Uh, hey. Whoa. Hey. You wish. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Sawbones. We hope you had as much fun listening as we've had making it. Um, thank you, Rachel, for your great topic suggestion. Yes, thank you, soon-to-be McElroy. Uh, we uh, we hope you enjoyed the suggestion. You can follow us on Twitter. If you want to suggest a show topic, just send a tweet to at Sawbones. We actually ask that you do that whenever you're uh, tweeting about the show. Maybe you want to share our uh, a link to our iTunes page. We would sure appreciate that. Uh, or or uh, a link to MaximumFun.org where our show lives, uh, along with many other fantastic programs jordan jesse go and uh, stop podcasting yourself my brother my brother and me so many other fantastic programs we hope you check those out uh go to the forums talk about the show uh tell a friend about it follow us on twitter tweet at us at justin mcelroy and at sydney mcelroy that's s-y-d-n-e-e make sure you join us again next friday 
for Sawbones. I'm Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. As always, don't drill a hole. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.